Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Wilsey. All righty. Welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Chase Wilsey. I'll be your host here for the next hour or so. We'll call it uh, no Brent Wilsey this morning, but uh, still here to get you through again for that next hour of an unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion. Again, about what you want to talk about. You want to give us a call here and have us break down an individual stock, looking at what's going on at that company. Also, too, today, do have a special treat. Our financial planner, our certified financial planner today, Harrison Johnson, is in studio. So if you do have more maybe specific financial planning questions when I dive down deeper into, Harrison is here with me this morning. Uh, as always, we do want to get started with our topics and talking through some of the things that have gone on this past week, just some some big things that occurred in the news. But with that, I do want to bring Harrison on air. How are we doing this morning, Harrison? I'm doing well. You're right, Chase. It is a special treat that I am here. So um, <laughs> you called me about 45 minutes ago, and here we are. <laughs> yes, we had a, a slight emergency here. Brent had a, a little medical issue. He's fine. Just... Uh, a little immobile at the moment, a little back pain, but uh, yeah, we're here a, to do the show. <laughs> it's no medical problem. His back hurts. That's <laughs> yeah. all it is. <laughs> but here we are. Um, with that, you know, as always, an interesting week in the stock market. I'll just kind of start off with that. I mean, we, we have been seeing a lot of volatility and, you know, things have been kind of, I'm going to say, doing a little bit better than the month of September. September was rough. We knew that was going to occur. October has gotten off and has been, I guess, still a volatile month not seeing the type of declines we saw in September, obviously, but still things are moving up and down, still a lot of concerns around what's going to happen with the Fed. We did see some excitement yesterday as there's some potential whisperings, I'll call it, where maybe the Fed won't be as aggressive as aggressive as initially thought. And I've talked about this, we've talked about this on the show, that could be a huge, huge catalyst for the stock market. And I think particular companies could move quite higher if things don't go as anticipated and the Fed does slow. You could see a huge rally, as we talked about back in 2018, saw something similar in 2019, that huge rally. So be very careful. Again, don't try and time what's going to happen. And, you know, talking to somebody on the phone the other day, and they were talking about, oh, well, what if, you know, Russia does do something crazy? What if China does invade Taiwan? You can't play that game. If you're playing what ifs, you could ask what ifs about everything out there and you're just going to be stuck in the mud, so to speak, and not making any investment decisions. Look at the companies. Look at what you're buying. Know that these companies are fundamentally sound and where are they going to be two, three, four years down the road, not again two, three, four months, as that's how you want to look at investing, not trying to play a guessing game of what's going to happen because sometimes you might be right, other times you're going to be wrong, and probably more often than not you're going to be wrong, I'd say. With that, I do want to talk about the dollar strength here. I see comparisons to the 70s, and people say, yes, with the current inflation, we're going to have a major recession or perhaps even a depression just around the corner. One important area that people are not looking at is the strength of the U.S. dollar. Back in October 1978, the dollar hit an all-time low of 80.52. Now, that's in an index. The weakness in the dollar was very difficult for the United States. I'm sure you're wondering where it stands today. Roughly 40% higher, checking in around 112. 
There are many benefits to a strong dollar, the most important being confidence from around the world in our currency. It is easy to be emotional and get on the doom and gloom train, but there are just too many other positive factors that tells me we will get through this probably faster than many believe. Yeah, and this is something that we talk about. The, the strong dollar is a benefit. There are some downsides to it as well, where now our products do become more expensive overseas. But again, you have to remember that we are not a major import, or excuse me, exporter of goods. We're more of an importer of goods from around the country, which we talked about inflation. This could help inflation because now we're able to buy goods overseas at a much lower price because of our strong currency. So that is a, a benefit here. And I think there are, again, so many other positive factors that you have to look at. As I was just kind of talking about, you can always pull out negatives, but you can also always look at the positive side of things. And I think things are going to be quite positive here six, 12, 18 months down the road. Yes, this is a difficult time, but we'll get through this as we always have. So just don't panic here. There are some positives to look at. And and the dollar strength, again, shows that the, the world still believes in the United States. Next up to uh, earnings season. Earnings season for the third quarter is underway and was kicked off with decent earnings from the big banks. Over the next few weeks, we'll, we will be seeing many companies report and investors should be looking at the growth of earnings year over year, along with the guidance going forward. In the last three months, analysts have reduced estimates by about 7%, which could make the estimates easier to meet. I would also recommend watching the sales along with the price-to-sales ratio to see how your companies compare with the industry and what investors are paying for the sales of the companies they're invested in. And, and important here as well is an interesting uh, AT&T reported, uh, gosh, this past week, and a lot of negativity has been going off that stock. Like, oh, my gosh, are they going to be able to pay that dividend? Are they going to cut the dividend again? Oh, are their earnings going to continue to fall? Well, we saw the stock rally, gosh, I think the most in years, up about, I think it was 8% on the day. And a lot of that was because there was just so much negativity. And a lot of these stocks, if they can just beat estimates, and have not as a pessimistic outlook as people are anticipating, again, you could see big moves. Now, I will say on the downside, you look at Snap, for example. (laughs) That company (laughs) had lowered expectations and then missed those expectations. I think it fell as much as 30% on the day. you got to be careful here. And we talked about one thing as well with the, the strong dollar going back to that topic. As companies with a lot of overseas exposure, that's going to make their profits overseas less valuable as you have to convert that back to U.S. dollars. So be careful. That could weigh on earnings and could cause some surprises to the downside. You know, in addition to that, you know, this is a different environment that we're going into because a couple of years ago, it didn't necessarily matter too much about the earnings because there was so much money in the economy. Um, interest rates were so low. So there was just so much money that was pumping everything up. So, you know, you could buy something and everything was going up and it was fine. Now we're getting into a situation where it matters much more the actual company, the the valuations behind that company, the reason, the fundamental reasons why it should be bought versus not bought. And so now it's much more important. And the people that are looking at those types of things are the ones that are going to come out ahead going forward over the next few years. Yeah. And I, I think we've seen that easy money come into the economy, as you said, easy money coming into the stock market. I mean, you, you, you pump the money full, or excuse me, the economy full of this extra cash. I mean, everything's gone up over the last decade. It, it's been easy. Now that, that extra money's not coming in the economy, as you said, that's a great point that you have to dial in and you have to focus on what you're buying because I think only the strong will survive, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the days of, you know, Snap and cryptos and, and, and these things that 
aren't as fundamentally sound, I, I just don't see what's going to be the catalyst to, to get them moving, especially the way they were moving like they were in the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's not based on the name. Now it's going to come down to the values because when money is more expensive and there's less of it, you know, that's ultimately what the valuations of fundamentals, fundamentals will fall back on. And, and you know what's interesting as well is the banks. You know, you, you listen to Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, uh, Brian Moynihan at Bank of America. I saw American Express as well. I don't know their CEO's name, but they were all talking about consumer spending. And, and this is something we've talked about for months is people are starting to complain about inflation, but their actions are still not showing those complaints, so to speak. And yes, inflation is kind of skewing somewhat how much people are able to buy, but people are still spending money. And when you're looking at these banks' report and American Express, I mean, gosh, talk about insight into how healthy the consumer is and how much they're spending. They're still seeing good signs from the consumer and a healthy consumer. So that's something that, that we've talked about here as well, is that while, yes, inflation is a problem, people aren't necessarily pulling back completely from purchases. And you know, the funny thing is American Express pointed out one of their top two categories, travel and dining out. <laughs> if you are hurting and truly hurting, those are going to be one of the first things you cut because those are completely discretionary. So I, I know, don't get me wrong, there's going to be people that are, are having to pull back. And as I said, this is a difficult time. I don't want to sugarcoat it. But there is still enough money that's still kind of left over from all that stimulus and so forth that is still circulating in the economy. And, and the consumer overall, you look at their balance sheet, it's still healthy for the most part. And as I said, you're going to have those one-off cases where people are going to be struggling and going to have difficult time periods. But on average, the consumer is still in a good spot. So be careful, again, falling into that negativity trap. Uh, next up, too, do want to talk about taxes. Gosh, I know people love taxes. So uh, talking about the tax adjustment, with inflation comes an upward adjustment of 7% on tax brackets from the IRS. So, hey, inflation, just talking about how it hurts the consumer, this is one positive that, that does occur with inflation as the IRS, again, does adjust their tax brackets. This is the largest increase in automatic adjustments to the tax brackets since it was first <laughs> indexed to inflation in 1985. The top tax bracket of 37% for a married couple now starts at $693,750 when couples file a tax return in 2023 for 2022 income. The standard deduction will also climb 7% to $27,700 for married couples. All tax brackets across the board will increase by 7%, so taxpayers will not be paying tax on inflation. The estate and lifetime gift tax ex- exclusion will also increase to $12.92 million from $12.06 million per person. Gift tax exclusion will climb from $16,000 to $17,000. Unfortunately, all the news is not good. The Social Security Administration adjusted their inflation on payroll tax earnings up to 160200 from $147,000 in 2021. So essentially what this is saying is now when you look at your earnings, given the same level of income going from 2022 to 2023, now a larger portion of that income is going to fall in the lower, some of the lower tax taxes because those tax bracket dollar amounts have been increased and same with the standard deduction. So <clears throat> it's essentially shifting your effective tax rate slightly lower because of this increase on the tax brackets from the IRS. Yeah, hey, it's not all bad news, as we said. So. It's, it's not all bad news. And, <laughs> but I mean, the other side of that is, you know, for people that make over 
um, $147,000, the the change to the Social Security tax, because with, with Social yeah. Security, it's taxed on your gross earnings. So 401k contributions don't change it. IRA deductions don't change it. Any type of deductions you get don't change it. So um, you're capped onto a wage amount of, it was $147,000 this year. Now it's up to 162, or I'm sorry, 16200. So basically that additional um, $13,000 of income is now going to be subject to that tax, which Social Security is taxed at 6.2%. So um, that's a downside, but I was looking at it uh, this week, and for people that do make more than that, it looks like the tax savings from the increase in the um, tax brackets of, of 7% is going to more than offset the um, additional tax from Social Security. So, yeah, I mean, it all kind of it all kind of works out. Yeah, you got to kind of, I guess, start factoring that in. And, uh, you know, I, I know wage inflation has been occurring, but, you know, at least that wage inflation, you won't be necessarily having to pay more taxes on that wage inflation because of the adjustment of the tax bracket. So some benefits there. I mean, you, you might get some relief next year. You may not. So you, you got to look at your individual financial situation, see how this will either benefit you or potentially be a, a downfall there. But I do want to open the phone lines here. I want to talk about home sales, but uh, again, I want to get to our callers after we talk about home sales. So you want to join the show. Phone number here is 833 288 0973. Again, that phone number is 833-288-0973. But with that, the real estate market, we've talked a lot about obviously the rising interest rates and how impactful that has been. And we've seen that impact now existing home sales as they they have fallen for the past eight months as mortgage rates hit 6.92% and probably will soon cross over into that 7% range. And, and, this is a, a nationwide average on mortgage rates. If you go get a 30-year fixed and you're an average person, you're already at the 7% range. Yeah, so yeah. we're talking about here just the average rate, not necessarily what the 30-year fixed is without buying any points without or anything points, else. Yeah. So this is mm-hmm. just that true rate there. Obviously, if you buy points, that's going to lower your rate. So this is the average. I know a lot of people, when you're going to talk to mortgage brokers, it's going to be in that 7% range. Mm-hmm. But with that, September sales for existing home sales did decline 1.5% in the month to an annual rate of 4.71 million homes. The percentage number looks far worse if you look at the September sales on an annual basis, which declined 23.8%. Home inventories continue to rise, which will be the beginning of more price declines in housing prices. Yeah, I, I think this is something you got to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, inventory did decline month over month. It has elevated from the beginning of the year. And we have seen home prices, they're still climbing year over year, but before they were climbing like a 14%, 15% annual rate. I think this last month it was around 7 8%. I want to say it was more in that 8% range. So that's starting to slow. I think now the problem is in 2023, if you continue to have month over month declines in home prices, when we start hitting January, you're going to see year over year declines. Mm-hmm. And we've had this huge long run of year-over-year gains in home prices, I think that could be coming to an end uh, at the beginning of next year. So it's something to keep an eye on. I I think, obviously, with rising interest rates, people just can't 
afford the payment. You can't have interest rates go up. That means you're paying more towards interest. The home price can't stay the same because now the cost of that home to the individual is far higher. I mean, especially I think we said in there at the beginning there, the the 30-year was around 3%. It's more than doubled Mm -hmm. in a a 10-month, 11-month period. It's just ludicrous to think that home prices can maintain themselves. Just the affordability is just way out of line. Yeah, it really is. And I think this is just going to become something that is more prevalent because the rise in interest rates happened, I think, a lot faster than maybe a lot of people expected them to, especially on the mortgage side of things. So, you know, people might have gotten pre-approved two months ago when rates were in the fives and now they finally find a house they're happy with it now they go back to their mortgage person it's like okay now you're uh you know you're you're locked in at seven and a quarter or something like that and the the change in the monthly payment is drastic which you know in many cases causes it to be unaffordable so as we go into next year you know, with these rising rates, because we're likely going to see another increase by the Fed um, in November and then maybe again in December. So that will probably carry over to the mortgage rates and, and have further increases. So, I mean, we could see things in the eights. And <clears throat> I, I talked to a mortgage friend of mine recently, um, just a couple of days ago, and a lot of the I'm not exactly sure who comes up with the pricing for mortgage rates for the individual banks themselves, whether it's underwriters or whatever it is. But the people that come up with those rates are expecting rates to fall in the next, I'll say, 12 to 24 months or so. And so a lot of the pricing that they come up with has additional point costs with that assumption because right now they think the rates are high. They think they're going to be a little bit higher over the next couple of months. But the people that are pricing that think ultimately it's going to be lower in around two years from now. And so they're expecting a lot of people to refinance. But because of that, a lot of times they're putting extra point costs um, in their mortgage right now. So, I mean, people who out are out looking at buying houses right now be careful on the change in the property value that we could see over the next couple of months, but also be careful about what you are paying in points in trying to change that interest rate because, you know, whether the rates are really going to be lower in 12 to 24 months or not, um, that's how mortgage rates are currently being priced. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I know uh, we have several people that we know in the mortgage industry, obviously, um, and they talk about you just got to be very, very careful and cognizant of people kind of selling rate and then screwing you on the back end with maybe you have to buy extra points and your closing costs are elevated. So, you know, it's, it's something you got to really keep an eye on. Know that obviously interest rates are around 7% if you're trying to get a 30-year fixed. Uh, it, it's not nearly what it was before. And if you're seeing a rate lower than average, there may be something to it. I know there are other programs that, that have good rates. But, uh, you know, you, you really got to look at the numbers here and, and be very, very careful when, when you are getting a mortgage. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but I rent my home. I know you're renting. Brent is still renting. I, I think there could be a time in 2023, probably middle of the year, I think you could start to see some great opportunities in real estate. But right now, I just don't think the cost of the mortgage has been reflected in the cost of homes. So I think that mm-hmm. that's yeah. going to have to give. One of them is going to have to give. And yeah. I, mortgage rates aren't going back to 3% anytime soon. No. I, I think, honestly, I was talking to a gentleman the other day. I said, I, I think the 3% mortgage rate is probably not going to happen again for decades. Yeah, I mean, the only reason that happened is because we were in a economic crisis because of COVID and the rate was 
number one, the Fed was reducing rates, but then they were also buying and selling mortgages in the market, which artificially brought down 15 and 30-year mortgage interest rates. So it, it wasn't just that rates were low. They were also, you know, in actively in the mortgage purchase environment trying to actively bring that down. And, you know, it, it's a great benefit for people who are able to refinance or purchase during that time. And I, I tell clients this, you know, the value of having a $500,000 mortgage at 3% is is great. And if you have a mortgage in that capacity, don't be paying extra payments to it because it's not costing you anything. And in many cases, it's deductible on the federal and state side as well. So, I mean, you might have a mortgage, but with the actual payments, it really doesn't cost you all that much. So that's a huge benefit. And you're right, Chase. I don't think we're going to see things drop down to that level. But, you know, really, I mean, a mortgage rate in the five, around 5% no. is not bad after tax that especially in California because we have such large taxes here. So that means the after-tax rate is better. But, you know, 5% mortgage rate after tax is somewhere in the threes, which is still pretty good, you know. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I don't think, obviously, the, the 10-year note hit it, its highest mark since 2008 at, at about four and a quarter. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see the 10-year note go to 8%. I, I don't foresee that. And, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I just don't see what, what was going to happen there. I mean, mortgage rates... I saw a call for for double digits. I I don't foresee that. I think inflation, you know, just kind of as the Fed was wrong on it being transitory, it was baked in the economy a lot harder than anticipated. But I I think there's things at play that that should reduce that rate. I think the Fed will be able to to relax on that. I I don't see mortgage rates going up into the the low double digits there. I don't either. And, you know, if we did see that, then that will absolutely have an impact on the housing market and and the prices. Because, you know, at that rate, if we're looking at 11, 12 percent mortgage, I mean, that's that's crazy, especially when you actually look at the amortization of it and you look at, okay, here's my principal and here's my interest component of that payment that I'm making. And it's like all interest for for the first part of it. I mean, your return on the the price appreciation in the home would have to be huge. And if you're buying a home at the price today with an interest rate of 11, I I don't see how that home is going to appreciate at 11%. (laughs) Right. For a year, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, when we saw rates like that in the past, that was also a time when real estate prices were much lower relative to income. So yeah. people were able to pay those loans off a whole lot faster. They weren't, you know, taking 30, 40, 50 years to pay off homes because of refinances and things like that. They were trying to pay it down as quickly as they can because the purchase price was much lower. They were able to do that. And so since we've been in this low interest rate environment so long, that has partly fueled the increase in property value because people are okay buying larger and larger amounts, which is increasing the demand because they can afford the payments based on the lower interest rate. So, I mean, it all kind of evens out in the end, I'll say. Yeah, I mean, definitely something we'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, the real estate market, I, I'm going to say, is a little slower moving than the stock market. You, you don't see the second-to-second type data that you do with the market, uh, that you do in the real estate market. So you're going to see, I think, it kind of move like a cruise ship, you know? It, it, mm-hmm. it turns and, and moves a lot slower than, I think, the individual stock market. So it's something to keep an eye on. But again, look at 
where your home is going to be down the road and you know be very careful i think right now home prices are still quite expensive uh, but with that if you find the the topics we're talking about here interesting we do have other topics that we have in our smart investing newsletter like this past week we talked about bitcoin we talked about the oil reserve and, and how we've been depleting that over the last few months talk about fast food robots uh could that be replacing fast food workers personal computer sales and also to California voting, uh, you know, a lot of hidden agendas, I'll call it, and bills and propositions. So just some different topics there. If you want to sign up for our Smart Investing newsletter, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And you'll see right at the top there, newsletter. You'll see a button, join our newsletter. Just go there, click it. You can stay up to date on the topics that we're covering here on the radio show as well. With that, I, I did also want to mention, uh, do have an event today for my charity against the Fighters Fight Foundation. It's a, a breast cancer charity. We, we help women uh, going through breast cancer, provide them with memorable experiences that, that they'll never forget with their friends and family. It is so important. I mean, th- those are things that I know I really value in my life as friends and family. want to make sure that uh, women going through those difficult times have the availability to to take some time away from, you know, the the doctor's appointments, the chemotherapy, just having all that stress in the life and to relax and, and enjoy time there. So that's what we do today to help support my charity. We are doing an event at uh, Jayberg Kombucha that is actually located here in Mira Mesa. It's at 10320 Camino Santa Fe Suite C in San Diego, California, obviously. Again, that address is 10320 Camino Santa Fe uh, Jaybird Kombucha, and they're donating a portion of sales from 12 to 4 today. You know, all you got to do is just show up, have a couple kombuchas, show your support. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, you know, I'll be there all day. Harrison will be there as well. So, and you have a financial question, you can come on, join us, have a kombucha, and chat a little bit. Uh, but it is a local company, you know, local company started by a local guy, local charity. So, you know, come support breast cancer, support local business, support San Diego. So, with that, I uh, do, again, want to open the phone lines. You want to join the show, phone number 833-288-0973. Again, 833-288-0973. This past week, we always talk about how we do accept emails. If you message us on Facebook, we will look at uh, the companies you want to have analyzed if you don't have the availability to come on air during the Saturday mornings. No worries. Just, again, send us an email. Did get one from Zach this past week. He was saying, I, I was wondering if you could look into Kroger. If you get a chance one of these Saturdays, I realize there is an antitrust case against their potential acquisition of Albertsons. And then even if the deal goes through, they have to take on some of Albertsons' debt. But some of their metrics like price to sales and P.E. ratio look pretty good. And the return over the last five years is impressive. Long-term buy or too risky? Well, with that, Zach, let's take a look here at, again, Kroger. Ticker symbol here is KR for Kroger. They're obviously in the grocery store industry. Uh, Short percentage of float here, just 3.2%. Institutional ownership, 80.9%. Turn to the valuations, and this is what Zach's talking about. Price to earnings, 134 Below the industry average is 178 And wow, price to sales. 0.2 0.2 compared to the industry average, 0.4. Obviously, grocery stores are not a, I'm going to call it high margin business. They have to really hit that turnover there to to produce that 
that profitability. So the the price to sales ratio is going to be much lower than you know uh, something like uh, gosh an Apple or an Amazon where their margins are much much higher, especially compared to the price to earnings ratio. Price to tangible book, well, that stands at 5.5. Industry, 255.7. There must be a lot of acquisitions that have occurred in the industry there. Price to cash flow, 5.9. Well, the industry's at 6.4. The peg ratio, the PE divided by growth, that stands at 1, while the industry's at 15.6. So valuation ratios here look fantastic for Kroger. If I look at the earnings per share growth over the last one year, that's strange, up 116.6%, while the industry was up 138.2%. I I, I don't quite see how they could have grown earnings that much, especially when sales over the last year were just up 8%. That That's a strange number. I, I would have to dive down into the income statement and kind of see where that discrepancy is occurring. Now, going forward for the next five years, their earnings per share growth estimate, that's at 11.7%. That's quite strong. I'm quite surprised by that, to be frank with you. Dividend yield here for Kroger, 2.4%. So you get a pretty decent dividend with it. And they only use 25.3% of their earnings to pay out that dividend. Looks like they have been growing the dividend. Looks like for the last 10 plus years, they've had consecutive dividend growth um, in in that uh, dividend payout. Looking at the balance sheet, this is where the issues are with Kroger. The current ratio stands at 0.7, below the industry average of 1. I I like a current ratio of 1. That tells me that their current assets match their current liabilities. I don't like when companies don't have that type of liquidity. And the debt to equity, well, that is now 210%, while the industry average is at 180%, so very high debt company. Not to mention that acquisition of Albertsons. I'd have to look at how the deal is being structured. Are they taking on more debt to buy Albertsons? And if they assume Albertsons debt levels, I think Albertsons debt to equity right now, we, we checked it this past week because we were interested in it. I think Albertsons has a debt to equity around 300%. So Kroger's balance sheet could be essentially decimated by this acquisition. Their debt to equity would skyrocket. So that is something that is, is, is quite scary to me if I'm looking at buying Kroger. Looking at the uh, inventory percentage, 61.4%. Obviously, they carry a lot of inventory. Uh, just they have to have that in the stores. And that's what I was talking about with their net margin here, 1.7%. Industry average, 2.5%. Not a high margin business. Return on equity, 25.1%. And return on invested capital, 10%. So I'd say for the most part, a lot of these numbers are very, very strong for Kroger. But the problem is, again, that balance sheet is just is scary. Current price for the company, though, $43.63. 52-week high, $62.78. And the 52-week low, well, $39.18. I see year-to-date the stock's up 16.7%, though. Obviously, the S&P 500 struggled. That's down now about 20.3% for the year. So Kroger doing well in this type of environment. But uh, going forward, let's see what it looks like in terms of the valuations. If I go out to January 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.16. That would give us a target sell price here of $69.06. So, again, I don't have issues with the valuations. The valuations are very, very strong for this company. Uh, I like the business. I I don't think grocery stores are going anywhere anytime soon. I think grocery stores are going to be here for quite a while. Uh, I know me personally, I I don't like to order groceries 
via you know Instacart or anything like that. I, I just always like to kind of pick out my own meat, pick out my own fruit. Uh, nothing worse than you get a banana delivered and the banana's all bruised and you can't even eat the banana. So <laughs> I think that grocery stores, it's a business that is going to be around for many, many years to come. I like that that model, but Zach, I, I think I'd have to agree with what you said there uh, about it being too risky. I, I'd stay away. I mean, I, there's so many other great businesses out there that I, I don't want to sacrifice to buy a low valuation company that has a terrible balance sheet. There's so many other great companies that are trading at good valuations that you're not going to have that that same issue, especially with this Albertsons deal. I think that could be very, very costly to them down the road. So I, I'd have to say stay away from Kroger. It looks enticing, but I, I just I think there's a lot of great opportunities out there. And one thing, especially right now, too, when I, I'm looking at buying companies, with the huge downturn we've seen, I don't want to turn to a company that, that had its stock price go up 16.7% in a year. When everything else is down, I, I want to start looking for things that that have been beaten up, and, and that's really where you can find great deals. Kroger, again, great valuations, but I, I don't like necessarily that it's been climbing. I want to find something else that, that has been been hit this year, and there's just so many great opportunities I, I think you can find on sale rather than turn into a Kroger. Uh, with that, you again want to join the show here. Phone number 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three, and uh, again I mentioned I have Harrison in studio here. Most of the time we go to him uh, right now on the phone, but since he's in studio, let's turn over to Harrison. I know he wanted to talk about uh, Series I bonds, so I'll, I'll turn it over to Harrison. Let him chat a little about those bonds. I know they've uh, been a hot topic for people with the inflation. They have been. A lot of people have been asking about them, and the reason I'm, and I've talked about them before on the show, but the reason why I wanted to talk about it today is. We are about to see a rate change on the Series I bonds. So currently the rate is 9.62%, so close to 10% um, on the yield, which is you know pretty good as far as anything from the government goes. Um, <clears throat> that rate lasts for six months, and on November 1st, we will be hearing what the next official rate is. Um, but this rate is based on the CPI-U, or the, the Urban Consumer CPI Index, and Based on that and the changes that we've seen, it looks like that new rate is going to be in the realm of 6.5%, um, 6.47, 6.48, around in that realm. So what that means is right now the rate is 9.62, and if you want to take advantage of that rate, you basically have through between now and next Friday to take advantage of that. Um, the amount that you can purchase is $10,000 a person per year. So if you're married, you and your spouse can each do 10. So that's a total of 20. So if you have some cash sitting aside that, you know, isn't earning anything, then this could be a good alternative for that. And if you, if you buy these bonds between now and next Friday, you'll get that rate locked in for the next six months. And then after that, the, the, the following six months will likely go down to the new rate of about six and a half percent. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, I've talked about these series I bonds on the, um, on the show before, but I have a lot of clients and people that ask me about them. Oh, well, you know, with everything going on the market, is this a, is this a good place where we should be putting our money instead? Well, number one, you're limited on how much you can actually do in and it. it's only $20,000 a year per couple. But the other thing to keep in mind is <clears throat> I like to think of these series I bonds as an alternative to cash, as opposed to an alternative to investment, because 
these rates, right? it's high right now, but it's not always going to be that high. Um, again, starting next week or two weeks from now, the rate's going to go down to around 6.5%. And then depending on how inflation goes over the next couple of years, it, it will likely go down from there, just the way that it's indexed. So when we look forward over an investment perspective, we want to make as much money as we can, obviously. And <clears throat> I think from a long-term perspective, it's better to look at good, valuable companies as opposed to trying to get a little bit of a yield on these rates. So again, it's a good alternative to cash that otherwise isn't earning anything. But you know, as far as an overall portfolio and trying to make money and trying to grow your nest egg and grow your net worth, I think good, valuable companies are really what you should be focused on on that. You know, that's a, a great point there because uh, I love the distinction of it's not an alternative to investing, it's an alternative to cash because while that rate is high, as you said, you're quite limited in terms of how much you can invest into it. And kind of on that point too, you know, we, we talked a little bit about bonds and I, I've kind of, we've, I don't, don't want to say kind of, we've been very critical of bonds <laughs> yeah. uh, for for months and, and people that unfortunately, have held bonds, held target date funds. You've seen what we've talked about where there's that negative correlation with rising interest rates, bond prices fall. I mean, we were looking at the the bond index uh, from Vanguard this past week. Gosh, I think it's down close to 20% Mm -hmm. right on the line of the market there. People have been absolutely crushed in bonds. And I'm going to say the funny thing is I, I don't think bonds are necessarily as bad of an investment anymore. But the issue is, there's so many stocks out there, so many companies out there that, yeah, now in the 10-year can get four and a quarter percent, but I think you'd be far better off finding a great business at a great price because five years from now, you're going to be doing much better than a 5% return if you bought the right thing, obviously. And you can find companies that are have dividend yields of, you know, four, five percent that I think are number one safe and number two, you're gonna get that a price appreciate on the stock. So that's something to be mindful of is don't be scared and you go, oh, I gotta go to bonds. You gotta look for companies here because this is a, a golden opportunity, I think, to find great things that can set you set you up for the years to come. And with that said, I, I think if things do appreciate in the market, you might see Will see asset management come out and say hey, it might be a decent time to, to get some money into bonds. We haven't said that in years, mm-hmm. but it could happen next year. Not happening yet, could happen next year. Yeah, and, th- and that's a good point. I mean, when you look at the opportunity cost of investing in a bond versus investing in, you know, the good, valuable companies, there's just so much potential. And not that's not to say we're at a bottom right now. I mean, things, we're, we're likely still going to see volatility depending on what happens with the Fed and everything. But over the next three to five years, you know, there is great opportunity to be looking at good companies right now. And in addition to that, you know, we're we're talking about bonds a little bit. There is a difference between corporate bonds and federal bonds. These Series I bonds don't have any fluctuation in the par value or the face value, so to speak. It's it's just interest that you yield. But when you buy corporate bonds, you know, you look at them as a source of income because you get the yield on that, but also that par value changes, which is why we haven't been into bonds. So, um, but as you said, going forward, there there's likely going to be an opportunity. But at this point, you know, we're still looking at companies as the best uh, the best investment. Yeah, and that, that's where people, oh, you're just stock guys. No, we're, we're looking for good investments. And we want to make sure we're getting good investments at good prices, and bonds just haven't been at good prices. So that's why we've avoided bonds. In addition to that, you know, we're not just stock guys. We can also be real estate guys as well. I mean, we're not anti-real estate. We're just 
we're we're pro investment we're pro making money so we want to put money wherever the most efficient place to be is yeah yeah great point well with that we do have a caller so uh let's go out to oceans oceanside and speak with our buddy joe hey there joe you're on the smart investor show how we doing Good morning, gentlemen. And uh, finally, nice to meet you, uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, via telephone, of course. (laughs) Nice to meet you, Joe. (laughs) Hey, and, uh, you know, uh, Chase, you gave me a little, uh, you guys, I asked you about Twitter last weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I ended up did selling it, you know, and I kind of, because it just ended up going up, you know, Mm -hmm. like over $52. And then it got hit with that thing that, uh, you know, the Biden thing, you know, about, I forgot that they might uh, look into security issues with it. Mm-hmm. They went back down. <laughs> and so now I'm giving you a talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works, Joe. You know, it goes up and it goes down. And that, that's one thing that always scares me with the arbitrage deals is, you know, things can turn very, very quickly with them. And uh, just kind of as we said last week is if you have a good opportunity in something, uh, you don't want to miss that opportunity while you're trying to get a couple extra percent out of Twitter. Yeah, and I need to free up the money anyways. But, uh, yeah, I called today about um, Allstate because, uh, you know, it got hit pretty good because, uh, I guess, the hurricanes and stuff. And, and I thought, well, you know, maybe it'll go down a little bit more. And it, then it went up, you know, Friday. So probably still a decent buy, but uh, that's what I'm calling about. Yeah, Allstate, definitely an interesting uh stock company there i i did see the news about uh, them getting hit and it, it's kind of occurring with the insurance companies and it, it's interesting it's not just the hurricane but what's really been impacting these insurance companies is inflation and you know what's really going to hurt them as well is the cost to rebuild everything that happened in florida unfortunately is you know lumber is very expensive labor is very expensive all those are costs now that insurance companies are, are going to have to come up with to, to pay for the rebuilding. And obviously outside of the hurricane, you know, you look at autos where Allstate and other insurance companies are involved. I mean, you talk about the, the parts for cars. You talk about, the, again, the labor for cars. That has just gone through the roof. So these insurance companies are, are having to raise premiums, but there's so many regulations that they have to go to to raise those premiums that they haven't necessarily been able to offset that inflation just yet. And they had to take a write-down. They, they announced preliminarily what actually is going to be earnings for, I think, next week or the following week because they're actually going to report numbers. But they reported a lot of those and had to take a lot of hits to the earnings because of adjustments to uh, the, their claims, essentially, and, uh, again, not being able to offset the cost that they thought they'd be able to offset. So definitely got hit quite hard. And I saw yesterday there's speculation that Allstate actually – may be getting an investment from Carl Icahn, who's a, a big activist investor. So that's why you saw it pop up there a little bit. Obviously, the market did quite well yesterday as well. But I, I did see there's some potential that Carl Icahn may be becoming more involved in Allstate, which sometimes the market likes to see. But with that, let's go look at the numbers for Allstate, because that's always the, the most important part to us. Currently in the, obviously, property and casualty industry for insurance, short percentage of float here, 1.9%, not very heavily shorted. Institutional ownership, 78.6%. Look at the PE ratio, 39.1, very elevated to the industry average, 17.2. Very important to understand with insurance companies. They do carry a lot of bonds. Obviously, they do have the... Uh, issues with the, the claims and so forth. So their earnings can be very volatile as they have to take different write-offs on their income statement due to, to balance sheets adjustments. So it's not necessarily going to be hitting the cash flow. So always have to kind of div, dig a little bit deeper when you're looking at these insurance companies and the price to earnings multiple. Looking at price to sales, though, that's now at 0.7 below the industry average is 0.9. 
Price to tangible book value, 2.2 below the industry average, 2.6. Price to cash flow, 7.9 above the industry average, 6.2. And the peg ratio going forward, 4.3, also above the industry average, 1.3. Looking at the earnings per share change over the last year, down 85.2%. As I said, I don't believe that's due to you know business practices necessarily, but I, I believe there's a lot of kind of non-cash write-offs essentially that's impacting the business. I do see sales were down. Over last year, though, 3%. Well, I don't understand why that uh, sales have fallen over the last year, as that's not going to be impacted by write-offs. Looking forward, there is a five-year estimated growth rate for earnings per share of 5.3%. You do get a nice dividend here with Allstate of 2.8%. And they only use, well, I say only, uh, they use 113.3% to pay out that dividend. That, again, is coming from, I believe, the adjustments to the balance sheet, not their cash flow. So you got to look at the, the free cash flow for the company and just the cash from operations to make sure that dividend is safe. And I do believe it is. The company also does buy back a ton of stock. I see a buyback yield here of 11%. They are very shareholder friendly. I know that they, they continually increase that dividend, have done that now for over 10 years. And as I said, they buy back a ton of stock, which I believe has helped that stock price over the years. Think of the balance sheet is a financial company, so the financial measures are going to be a little bit different. There's no current ratio for insurance businesses. Debt to equity, 0.4 or 40% versus an industry average, 30% higher than the industry, but I'm still okay with that. And looking at the net margin for the company, 2% below the industry average of 5.5%. Again, I believe that's stemming from the write-offs that the company has taken. Now, looking at the current price for Allstate, it stands at $120.08, a 52-week high $144.46. And the 52-week low, that's $106.11. Year-to-date, the stock has done quite well considering uh, what's going on in the market is it's actually up 4.2%. Even with that recent pullback, you see over the last five days, it's down about 9.3%. Now, going forward for the company, I go out to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $11.59. Would give us a target sell price here of $192.39. So, I mean, the valuations on this company are strong. I love insurance companies because, as I kind of said, what happens is they're raising premiums to try and offset that inflation. Well, all of a sudden, that inflation subdues. They're now caught up on essentially raising those premiums, and they kind of come out ahead. Insurance companies, I, I mean, I like the business model. They typically have done quite well over history as well. I, I like Allstate here, Joe. Well, thanks a lot, Chase. Yeah, and I, I like the insurance companies too. And just, they just they just took that hit, and so it's been a while since all states come down like that. And I thought it might be a good chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, and that's kind of what you want to look for is those opportunities to get into good companies. And um, you know, I, I think it does present a, a good opportunity there. And it's funny we we know when unfortunately the hurricanes hit, or when the expenses are going to be quite elevated, the insurance companies do take a little hit there. But that's generally obviously the time you want to buy them. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again. Thanks again, Chase. And like I said again, nice meeting you, Mr. Johnson. Hey, you too, Joe. I, uh, nice to meet you. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> I, I hear you. Um, like last week, I, I hear you, but I've never talked to you before. So. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you hear me. I call in once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. <laughs> Joe will come back for like three weeks, and then he's gone for a couple months. And then, because <laughs> yeah, Joe's been in the market. You know, yeah, yeah, you've been, you know, you've been listening to the show for a while. Because I remember years ago, you know, you you've been calling in. So it's, you've been a long time, long time listener and caller. Oh yeah, before you you were there. Yep. Even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for calling again, Joe. And uh, as always, don't be a stranger. 
All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye now. Important uh, to pick up. We, we like to be shareholders of insurance companies, maybe not necessarily customers of insurance companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what insurance company it is, I guess. I mean, you got to have property and casualty insurance. Um, you know, I, life insurance, I guess, is something that I'm always, I always have a hard time buying a life insurance company. Uh, you need life insurance. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, yeah. I. Thanks for catching me there. <laughs> Some people need life insurance. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, but not everybody needs it. It shouldn't be sold as an investment. So I always struggle to buy life insurance companies. Property and casualty insurance companies, that's something that, in my opinion, is obviously quite important because that could be a catastrophe if all of a sudden you lose your car, you lose your home. I mean, you're talking about devastation. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, you're right to make that decision. Property and casualty insurance, you know, those are valuable, and as and we do need them as as consumers. But uh, I mean, I've worked for life insurance companies before, and they just they just rub me the wrong way. So, and, and I mean, I guess don't get me wrong either. It, it always sucks to be a consumer of an insurance company because I've never had to use insurance. <laughs> you know, it's just a payment that you have every month, and you need it. You have it because you might need it, but you don't always need it, which is the problem. Insurance is something that is supposed to cover something where if it does happen, it's financially catastrophic, but it has a low probability of happening. That is the definition of what insurance is for. And and uh, that's why I like to be an investor in an insurance company. I, I think it kind of helps offset perhaps my premiums that I pay to them <laughs> um, because they always write insurance essentially to win. Right. They... they have, as you said, kind of those probabilities that they're looking at where they know there's going to be those expenses, but they have to kind of maintain that profitability. So uh, that's why I do like insurance companies is it's very mathematical yeah. the way they look at it. And obviously I love numbers. I, I think it's I think it's a very interesting business and it's, in my opinion, a very safe business to invest into as well. Uh, but with that, again, we got a few minutes here left. If We probably have time for maybe one more call if somebody does want to join the show here. Again, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Uh, I did want to kind of take a look at Snap since we don't have any callers. I, I mentioned they, they took that, that major, major hit there. Um, but, you know, they're down about 30%. It's interesting. I, I see before earnings, they still had no P.E. ratio. Their price to sales, even with the pullback, was 2.7 compared to the industry at 3.9. So that's starting to look okay. Uh, price to cash flow, though, this is crazy, 51.3 versus the industry average at 13.5. The valuations on Snap are still quite high, even with this this big pullback that we've seen in the stock. And especially, too, the scary part about Snap is the company said they're anticipating no revenue growth. Yikes. You can't be a technology <laughs> company with high valuations and, and no growth. That is just not a good place to be. I mean, I see that the 52-week high for Snap was $60.78. It's now currently at $7.76. Hit that 52-week low yesterday, which was $7.33. Year-to-date, I see the stock is down 83.5%. And over the last one year, down 89.7%. And this is what we talk about with these growth stocks is people love them when they're growing up, but I don't think Snap is going to go to $60 anytime soon. Don't play the pray and hope game with a company like this. I think there's a lot of great businesses out there that you will see them return to the price you paid. No problem. But there's a lot of companies like Snap that it's going to take them years, if not ever, 
to get back to $60.78. So be very careful of these high flyers and even jumping into Snap. I, I still don't think I would jump into the company even at these levels, uh, especially with no revenue growth. Yeah. <laughs> so be, be cognizant of that. Be careful of these growth stocks. They were hot during the pandemic, but... Uh, I, I just I, I still think there could be issues with them over the, the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to the name of it. You know, when Snap came out, it, it did pretty well. It's like, oh, this is just like Facebook, and Facebook has do, done well, so well. And so, you know, everything, regardless of how the fundamentals actually looked, were, were doing well. Now, again, we're getting to the point where it really always comes back to those fundamentals, and that's what um, should be channeling your decisions. Yeah, exactly. Well, we did get another call, so I want to make sure we, we go out to San Diego here and we speak with Val. Hey there, Val. We're on the Smart Investing Show. How can we help you? Yes, I am interested in VALE, which is a Brazilian iron ore uh, mining company. I believe they're the second largest uh, uh, company in Brazil, mm-hmm. and their valuation right now seems ridiculously low. All right. Well, let's take a look then at uh, Vale. Again, that ticker symbol is V-A-L-E, and it looks like that's the name of the company as well. We have uh, a Val calling in about Vale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, as you mentioned there, Val, they are in the industrial metals and mining business. I do see institutional ownership is just 22%, nothing on a short percentage of float. And it, it appears this is an ADR, as you said, it's a Brazilian company. Uh, there's something that, you know, we don't buy a whole lot of ADRs. So to be frank with you, I, I don't know necessarily why it occurs this way, but it, it could just be functioning or a function of it being an American. American depository receipt or that ADR, which makes the institutional ownership look quite strange, quite low there. Uh, nothing that I'd be necessarily concerned about, but it just does stand out. Now, looking at the price to earnings ratio, this is what you're talking about. 3.6 versus industry average is 6.5. I see price to sales a little bit above the industry average is 1.5 versus 1.1. Price to tangible book value, though, 2.5 below the industry average of 15.4. Price to cash flow, that's at 4 also below the industry average of 4.9. I see earnings per share over the last year. They've climbed 14.6% while the industry is up 12.2%. Sales are down, however, 16.5% while the industry is up 22.8%. That's quite strange. I, I wouldn't anticipate sales to have risen, especially with the way commodities have climbed over the last year. Looking to the dividend, wow, look at this. Dividend yield, 9.9%. That is a juicy dividend, to say the least. And the company uses 53.9% of their earnings to pay that out as well. Now, the balance sheet looks good. Current ratio, 1.3. Plenty of liquidity there. Debt to equity, just 0.5. So I'm not too concerned about that, that, that debt level. It seems very, very manageable. I see the company has a profit margin of 42%. That, that's a nice margin, especially with the industry average of 20.7%. I will say going back to the earnings, though, it is strange that they climbed again 15% while sales fell about 17%. The, the profit margin may be elevated. They may have made perhaps a sale. Maybe they had a benefit to the balance sheet in terms of writing something back up to uh, the cost that they paid for it rather than having to write down the market cost. So there could be some um, I'll call it balance sheet manipulation that, that's causing uh, a hit to the positive side for earnings. Would want to kind of dig down a little bit deeper is I don't like to see that dichotomy between sales and earnings. Now, looking at the current price for Vale, I do see it's $14.33. 52-week high, well, it's $21.29. So it's fallen quite 
quite heavily off that level. But the 52-week low, $11.16. It's kind of playing uh, off that as well. It's still higher from there. Year-to-date return, 11.6%. So it's it's done better than, again, than most of the market. But, uh, you know, I, something that... Uh, Curious how it's going to do going forward. It is a, it is a good sized company, as you said. It's a, one of the larger miners here in um, Brazil. It's sixty five billion dollar market cap. But if I go forward to let's see, December two thousand twenty three, I see estimated earnings per share of two dollars and fifty three cents would give us a target sell price of forty one dollars and ninety nine cents. So the valuations still look very good on it, but the there's a huge discrepancy between the low estimate and the high estimate. So you got to be very very careful with that. There, Val, I think there could be some potential issues, and especially with commodity prices doing so well, I, I little skeptical of, of commodities, especially with a current year estimate for earnings per share of three thirty one. So you're seeing valuation metrics lower than kind of where they will be, I think, in the years to come because of the cyclicality of the industry. Thank you very much. No worries, Val. Thank you so much for calling. All righty. Well, I'd say that opens another phone line, but uh, we are winding down here at the end of the show. I uh, did want to talk about one more time. We do have uh, my event today at uh, Jaybird Kombucha. Uh, we are going to be doing a little yoga there first, so I'll be there early. But, uh, you know, if you want to come join us, you know, come support breast cancer. It's, again, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, the event will be at Jaybird Kombucha. Again, their address here is 10320 Camino Santa Fe Suite C. And that's 10320 Camino Santa Fe Suite C. And, and some people say, hey, I've never had kombucha. Well, hey, come try it. Hey, come try it. It's great. <laughs> it's Yoga good. starts at 11, and then uh, there's going to be a food truck from 12 to 4. So. Yeah. yeah, so we'll, we'll uh, I know it's going to be a, a healthier food option. So, you know, we're, we're going to try and make it all about health. Kombucha, you know, it's still alcoholic. So it's, uh, I don't want to say it's healthy, but it's maybe a healthier alcoholic option than, than other places. Um, so we're trying to, you know, do the yoga, the, the hard kombucha, and then, uh, you know, a, a nice healthy food option there. Again, a local uh, San Diego company to, to help there. So, you know, come support, support San Diego. You know, we've got to support our San Diego Padres today as well. Uh, support San Diego local business. We've got a lot of exciting things going on um, in San Diego. Absolutely. I really, I'm a fan of that Jaybird hard kombucha. Um, you know, Jay is a great guy. <laughs> really, the guy that started his name is Jay, so yeah. that's where it comes from. Yeah. So come join us today. We'll be there from, uh, again, 11 to 4. Well, thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you would like to discuss in more de- detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Chase Wilsey, or Brent Wilsey as well at 858 858- Five four six four three zero six. Again, that's eight five eight five four six four three zero six. Please visit our website at smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along with investment tips, go to our Facebook group, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Have a great weekend and uh, go Padres. And may I say.